It's uh, a special edition. I don't know why I said that so fast. Uh, but yeah, we didn't plan to do this one because we didn't know Sebastian Vettel was going to retire. Uh, sorry, Freddie, for talking about planning. We shouldn't talk about planning. Uh, I'm with Adam. And I'm yeah, with it's a Freddie. shocking all, introduction. All three of us are back together for the first time in about a month. Actually, no, we saw each other at graduation. But we did do a podcast then, obviously. Although that would have been quite fun, dude. We're here to yeah. talk about Sebastian Vettel. Yeah, we should talk about Sebastian Vettel. Uh, quickly, are you both okay? Because I, I didn't ask in the plan in the planning meeting thing. <laughs> I think, Nigel, you know we're both way better than you. You're in a really weird mood. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not weird. Uh, no, right. but you're in a weird mood. <sighs> yeah, whatever. This is, uh, this is the <laughs> next Formula E paddock insider. Oh, God, yes. Uh, no. Right, let's get serious. Sebastian Vettel, he's retiring at the end of the season. He announced it after he got made an Instagram account, actually, and everyone went mad, which I thought was hilarious. But I didn't expect him uh, to announce his retirement on there, which is what he did. Uh, what's your initial reaction to that, guys? I'll come to... I'll go to Adam first. Oh, thank you. Um, just kind of... Bit, I don't know, a bit sad, really. I think it's... He's just like a nice guy. He, he reminds me of the king in Cars, where it's just everyone likes him and, you know, he's a great champion and a great ambassador for our sports. And I think he'll continue to be that, but it's a shame that he won't be there on race weekends and he livens up race weekends and, you know, he seems very respectful, but also quite witty and, um, you know, I think it's in, he's already got something interesting to say and that won't be a constant feature of every race weekend, which I think is a shame. But for him, you know, it's happy for him that, you know, he's got other parts of his life that he clearly wants to focus on. And for he seems pleased and satisfied that he'll be able to do that. So it seems like the right time for him in his decision making process. And he said the decision making process had been going on for, for a number of years, even pre- pre-COVID so yeah I think um, a mi- mixed kind of reaction to it you know happy for him but I think it leaves the sport a bit emptier I completely agree with that a mixed kind of reaction because I'm really happy he's leaving on his own, his own terms I'm really happy with this whole celebration of Sebastian Vettel um, but it is a shame to see him go because as the celebration that I just alluded to points out, as Adam said, he's such a love driver, such a fantastic driver. He's the third most successful driver in terms of wins in the sports history. He's going to be an all-time great for all time. And um, as is implied. Um, and to be honest, he's, he's just one of those drivers I've always kind of really liked. And I, he's the baby shoe me, all of that. So I just think he's phenomenal. I'm going to miss having one of my drivers on the grid, if that makes sense. But I'm, I think it, I think it was the right time. I think it's a good time for him to sort of move on. He's not really getting anywhere with the Aston Martin partnership. I mean, he's doing well there and they obviously really like him and he's, he's in a really good place and his activism is so fantastic. And he's been able to feel confident to take that to such a high level. Um, But I'm, yeah, I'm so happy for him and I'm glad he's leaving on his own terms. And, you know, it's it's big news. It's, it's yeah. really big news. Absolutely. Uh, I've got to say, I've not always liked him. When he was dominated at Red Bull, I found him hard to like. But over the years, 
I've liked him more and more. A bit like Lewis Hamilton as well, actually. There's something about when a great sports person gets older. I seem to like them more for some reason, and that's been the case with Vettel. Maybe it's because he's not dominating. But you're absolutely right, Freddie. What he's done off the track over the last two years, something changed during the pandemic, or maybe just before the pandemic, actually. Uh, and I, will, I just love his honesty, you know, because uh, I think a lot of sports people, racing drivers, are not fully honest. But I think he is. He's always very straightforward. He's got a great sense, sense of humour as well. Uh, so, yes, while his achievements on the track, now good he was, that can be debated. What can't be debated is what he's done off it over the last couple of years. So, yeah, and I'm sure he's going to continue that. And that's part of the reason why he's uh, leaving F1 at the end of this year. That's what he's spoken about in his uh, four or five minute Instagram uh, video as well, and to spend time with his family and that kind of thing. Uh, so, yeah. He spoke very well in that video. It was a very eloquent, very well put together piece, and um, I can speak for the English version. Obviously, I'm sure the German version was um, <laughs> the same. Also, but in also that eloquent. <laughs> um, uh, but there were points where he mentioned that his passion has certain um, difficulties for him to get on board with, and that's a very, you know, very uh, sensitive way of alluding to the fact that he doesn't necessarily agree with the traveling, doesn't agree with the output of the sport and maybe there should be more than just a net zero target and things should just be done quicker and so on and i think we all kind of agree with that and i think it's going to be interesting to see where formula one is as a poorer space next year really without him i think on adding on that he um i listened to the whole 25 minute press conference he um gave to the media and there was a question there asking if um, people accusing him of hypocrisy and people saying he's a hypocrite has had an impact and he said yeah I am a hypocrite which I don't yeah. I wouldn't expect that, that question time as well when he was on that uh, a couple of months ago yeah. right I, I wouldn't expect that kind of honesty from any of the driver on the grid I don't think you know it's, it's really um, you know I think that that whole press conference was just fantastic and the, obviously the video was but you know it, it's scripted it's his message that he's able to put out but the way he was dealing dealing and fielding the questions that came to him on on a range of things was just kind of summed up how good a person he is and why you know every reason that he's so well liked mm. hang on oh hang on Bang on. Oh, bang God. Sorry, I said hang on. Sorry, sorry. Oh, I heard that. Well. <laughs> to be fair, you're not alone. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'll enunciate more. I will not hang on. Yes. I will carry on speaking because that's what I'm doing now. Uh, a topic where we might not agree on, though, was how good was his F1 career? Four world titles, of course. What are the other stats? Dad can't memorize them. 15 years in F1, 122 podiums, 53 wins, and of course, the four world titles. I don't think he's a Pretty legend. Good. I think he's an all-time great, but I won't say he's a legend because... Wow. Well, I, I mean, we've, this is dangerously too early to go into yeah. just semantics on what a legend is and what an all-time great is. I think we're going to get... Okay, I think we're going, just, going to go into hurdles to, there. I think we just sort win, of celebrate his career. He needed to win a championship, championship or two with Ferrari to be right at the very top for me. How, how many... Kind of ju- just roughly, like, how many drivers would you say have legend status for you, Nigel? Six. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's maybe fair. He 
he burned very bright very quickly um, after, you know, his kind of very initial season. He, he came in for half a season with Tarasso and didn't um, kind of hit, well, he had a fantastic um, Grand Prix at China, but, you know, he kind of initially in his first 10 or so races, it, you know, wasn't absolutely stellar at Tarasso. But then the second, the second half of that season, when he got into in 2008, then, you know, he just really, he really took off and, you know, he could have won a championship for Massa. Like, you know, he was that Brazil race is one that kind of goes under the radar. And obviously his win at Monza that season, you know, it's really kind of from Monaco onwards in 2008. He never looked back and then went to Red Bull and was just, you know, lightning quick there. And I think that part of his career is underrated, I'd say. His, um, you know, second half of his time at Toro Rosso and then going to Red Bull and, you know, the, the championship years there in 2009, I think is slightly underrated in just how electrically quick he was. Um, maybe the rest of his season, uh, sorry, the rest of his career kind of um, takes away from that a bit. But I actually think he's kind of fairly, fairly rated by people. I don't think he's overrated or underrated when you look at his career as a whole. But I think as a study oh, of a career, God, he's incredibly God. interesting. As a study mm. of a career, he's incredibly interesting because, yeah, he came on the scene red hot. He was in the points and debut for a BMW when he did his first ever day as a pre-practice day, a Friday driver on the, the Turkish Grand Prix in 2006. He topped uh, FP, the second practice session on that day. Granted, I mean, I'm sure he was probably, all fuel stuff is interesting on that, but all the talk on that weekend was that, oh, this guy's really good. And he was refined and he was refined. And if you, I don't know if you guys listened to um, Mike Crack's um, Beyond the Grid interview, but he was saying that Sebastian Vettel around that time wasn't very, um, was was quick and was very intellectual, you know, was needed to be refined, that kind of thing. But it, the way he refined was so quick and so intelligent in the way he did that. You look at his Torosa days and adds in there, um, Clearly, he's got the results in front of him saying, what, 10 races or so was he until he had a good race in Monaco? You're, you're ranking it. Um, I think, to be honest, I think there's if you're going for that and then he just sailed on after that, I think that's a phenomenal, um, phenomenally quick taking to Formula One for such a young driver at the time. He was, what, 8, 19? When, um, when he, nearly 20 when he was um, in Toro Rosso. And that, that Monza win has got to be, I mean, you can say, Nigel, for your, category of what a legend is and isn't that's a legendary win end of um this is best weekend win. this is best win 100%. it's one of the best wins in formula one and it's in, in basically what was a minardi as as james allen in the commentary kept saying and i think you look at that you look at the way he just took on with red bull you look at the way um he's he grew and grew and grew and mark Webber went to shade and shade and shade and I think that that works so well for him and the Ferrari years are what make it a really interesting study is because that was when the team didn't kind of get how to work with Sebastian Vettel, I think. And you had Maurizio Riva Benny in right 2018 after four years of working with him saying Sebastian Vettel needs to drive and not think more about all the other stuff. And it's like, well, hang on a second. That's what made Vettel do so well at Red Bull. They just didn't get him. And then they tried, then Leclerc came in as the right idea, but the, the team kind of gathered around and sort of were trying to test Vettel. And then very clearly, as you can see, in pre-COVID in 2020, wanted to get rid of him. So it's 
it's really interesting to look at his career in that in that respect because if you take away 2020 it's one of the near perfect careers but 2020 i'm thinking on pace i am thinking on pace i was kind of more thinking on like pace but yeah 2018 was shocking it's a good half of that was shocking you're right um but it's just like it is it is a brilliant career near perfect probably was a push he's made too many mistakes for me far too many singapore 2017 Germany 2018. Singapore 2017, you can't call a mistake. That's a racing incident. He moved over. Like Drivers move over. <laughs> in the wet. Wow. Drivers defend off the start line. How is he oh, to know well, like, Raikkonen got a brilliant start? Right, Germany 2018. Germany 2018, mistake, correct. Right. And the thing is... We're not going to disagree that, on that one. <laughs> yeah, but that kind of, like... So you got his Monza win in 2008, but then that mistake has almost defined him in a way. I mean, yes, he's retired and everyone's been, you know, super positive about it. But he's made so many critical, memorable mistakes for the wrong reasons, I think. I mean, it's 2018 when he had when he had spin after spin after spin. It, you know, that is the problem. And I think there were signs at Red Bull that 2010 and 2012 seasons, he should have wrapped up the championships. It should have gone down to the last race. Definitely 2012. Fernando Alonso should have got nowhere near winning that title. But Vettel made so many mistakes. Luckily, he just about got over the line. But the car was miles faster than the Ferrari that year. So for me, he's always been mistake prone. Uh, and I think he, well, he was found out at times. 2014, definitely against Ricardo And against Leclerc, a little bit as well, I think. And against, you know, just against Hamilton in 2018, because I think Hamilton would have won in that Ferrari. So the mistakes is what lets it down for me. But he is one of the quickest I've, I've ever seen. I'm just going to jump in. But that's why I was going on about the kind of the team thing. Because I think there's a reason. If you look at 2018, there's a reason there's such an influx in that second half of the season. And you've got to kind of look at that and think there's a psychology to that. And I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it, which isn't an excuse, but kind of is. Because like I think you, you can kind of look at it and kind of think, so when he's in such an awkward environment, those mistakes are happening. But like when he's in, like a, when he's soaring, I think he's soaring. So I, th- I think his Adam wants to it's jump race, in. Is sorry, yeah. one last thing. His weaknesses are is his racecraft. That is a big problem of his career, and I don't think for me, I can't like not this. I can't not. What's the word? I can't disagree with what Separate. I'm saying. Obviously, that's why I'm saying it. I, Stupid, Adam. I think. Yeah, I think. I'll kind of go back to front with how I was going to talk about this, kind of round out my point on it. The, you know, I don't think he's ever beaten a, a truly great teammate. And, you know, you, you said Ricardo and Charles Leclerc both kind of go with that. And yeah, I think the Ferrari years were a missed opportunity. So I can definitely see where you're coming from, Nigel, that, you know, there were, there were always mistakes in him and there wasn't a, the same steel that there was with Hamilton. He was always a bit more, vulnerable and towards the end of his Ferrari career that showed more and more but to me that that's more Seb like that adds to the character and the kind of not exactly the legend of Vettel but you know it it fits so perfectly with him and I think that's why he's probably you know going to be going to be loved by by more people than you know say uh, no that that's too broad a statement to make but I think that's a a large part of his appeal is that 
he's not perfect. He's not the perfect racing driver, but you know, he's had this amazing career where he bursts onto the scene way earlier than many of the drivers have in their career. And then, kind of plateaued maybe sooner than people would expect him to and it's not been this perfect career of everything going well it's been this time where there have been problems and setbacks and I think that just fits with him so well and that's why he's loved and that's why the biggest appeal um, to me that's kind of why you know especially in his later years I've been drawn more and more to him yeah I, I think why has why did he peak so early? That's what I'm wondering. He was so young in 24. That's what I was trying to get into. That's what oh, I'm saying about it. dynamics and stuff like that, <laughs> and the sort of the the character. He's he's such a heart on his sleeve guy. That's Adam Adam was talking to about the character of Seb. Like he's such an emotional driver, and like that's why he kind of you can dis- distance him from the baby Shumi because Schumacher's looked at as this robot. But um, he's like you look at his celebrations, you look at his sort of moving the number one boards to his car in Canada, things like that. Like that's, that is, as Adam says, the set, because he's got that, that big sort of heart on his sleeve kind of mentality. And that's really like, that's why he's so good in Rebel. Cause Rebel, you know, he's, I think the line that really stands out to me is when Mark Webber said, Seb will have protection as always after the multi 21 incident, because they gave Seb that protection because they understood Seb. And they understood, and that season, Seb broke so many records in that 2013 season because they got him, they gave him that kind of cushion and that hand around him, that arm around his shoulder, and he was flying. And Ricardo was then a buffer to that. Sorry, there's a fly. Um, There was a a buffer to that kind of attitude and step back. Same with Leclerc, but there wasn't already that kind of, arm around the shoulder in Ferrari, there was very much a misunderstanding of him. And that's where it kind of steeped down because he was Luca de Montezemolo's boy and Luca de Montezemolo left in 2014. Like, so you think his success is, a lot of it's down to Red Bull and how they natured him? I think, I think it's, him. I think it's, I think there's a lot of it there. I think basically as a team, your job is to kind of unlock the driver. And I think Ferrari didn't do that so well, basically is what I'm saying. So I think, I think Sebastian's always, got that there i just think that you need to kind of work better to do it. and i think that's where a lot of lewis hamilton's success i think we're going to talk about lewis a bit obviously in comparison because they're the two great drivers of the 2010s let's be honest and you look at lewis hamilton and like you look at his latter mclaren days when there was um when he was kind of with button it was kind of all over the shop and his headspace was all over and his performances were all over the place let's be let's be honest on that but he's in the mercedes and he's in that much better environment they're cultivating it to hamilton particularly when they um finally sort of step away with rosberg leaving and it goes more hamilton and he flies with it because the team mercedes were understanding on how to work with hamilton so i think that's where i think a lot of teams aren't as good as they should be with how they treat their drivers to be honest that's a wider conversation, but yeah. Yeah, no, no, it's very interesting. Uh, yeah, anything to add, Adam, before we move on? No, I, th- I just, I think something that you said, um, I think really registers that you, you can sum up his career into two races more than any other driver I can think of in that Monza win and the Germany retirement. I think mm. that really shows the two sides of Seb in, yeah, as I say, kind of, um, better in two races than you can for any other driver on in F1 history that I can think of. Yeah, I mean, if he retired at the end of 2013, he could arguably, arguably would have gone down as the greatest F1 driver ever. It's just everything after that 
as you know, and then it, because of that, it makes you look at his 2010, 2012 seasons for me, and you see those kind of errors. But but he like, is still like, a fantastic driver. You know. Yeah, and like you say, that's made him more loved by a lot of people. It's certainly the yes. case for me as well as it is for you. So um, that's just because he's stopped winning. <laughs> in in terms of his on track percentages legacy, it might not have you know the the later years might have taken away for that. But in terms of his overall legacy as a person as an F one driver, then it's only added to it. Yeah, like we can't for, we can't forget that in the tail end of 2013, he was being booed in a lot of places because he was winning and doing so well, and people were bored of it. And like I think a lot of people look back and think, oh, we always have loved Seb. But I think we all have always thought, oh, it's a bit boring with Seb winning. Particularly that, I think I always seem to remember Singapore 2013 because that's what, in my opinion, one of his best drives as well because he just gaps the field like there was no tomorrow yeah. and was just on on another level and then on another level above that. <laughs> so that, that was his trademark, wasn't it? First yeah. lap, blitzed the field by three seconds. Mm. And the fact that he had that as a trademark is... <clears throat> To be honest, phenomenally amazing, in my opinion, as a driver. Like so few drivers are able to have that kind of like I I, I was just kind of remember that as a thing Seb could just do. He could just work so hard early on and just be unbelievable and then just basically say, Well, screw you, catch me. And they could. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, quickly before we move on, favorite favorite Sebastian Vettel race? Hungary twenty fifteen. 2015. Oh, that's a good. Oh, that was a great race. About that, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> Canada 2019. No, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, that that first win. Yeah, 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 it has, yeah. To be. it has to be. Nothing else comes close. All right, give us Although a second. Malaysia, one. Malaysia 2015, maybe. Yeah. I, I was I was going to say China um, 2009. I don't remember which of the race, but like looking back, it's like a rebel have arrived moment. That was. That was like a coming of age performance as well, in that that was the kickstart for their championship push. That was his first points finish of the season. And, you know, he could have been a five time world champion. Very, race. Very yeah. <laughs> for, for the driver that finished second in the championship to, you know, come into race three, not having scored any points is a bit unusual. But yeah, that was the, the moment where it's like. scored twice in the first three races this year, anyway. Uh, I'm, well, you know, I'm also going to. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to wrap up. Well, no, just, you know, it's not. Not the race itself, but maybe what it symbolises and what it signifies in F1 history. I think it's quite a significant race. Yeah, and I think what you're sort of saying with that kind of alludes also to 2008 Monza because it just signifies the Sebastian Vettel peak and that kind of thing. And you can say a few things about his Red Bull time for a few drives then as well. I think his, um, his like I, I previously mentioned, Singapore 2013 win and I think um, Abu Dhabi 2010 as well because like I know, Nigel, you were talking on about all the mistakes and that kind of thing in 2010, um, which for a driver in his in his third full season of F1 is arguably kind of acceptable. Yeah. Um, and then that 2010 Abu Dhabi drive was just the most pressured and the most perfect in a way. One of them, so you could say. I'm, but, I'm just going to... Ferrari strategists didn't get it right that day as well, did they? <laughs> well, they had to cover off Weber, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just going to throw in two more very quickly. The uh, Turkey 2020 and Hungary 2021, just they showed that he still got it. Like, it wasn't... They're not like, you know, the, the all-time set performances, but it was just that, I guess we've all talked about how he's dropped off through his career, but it was just those reminders that even when he hasn't got the car for it and, you know, he's not in the best of form, give him the right conditions and he can still perform. And that's what he did on both of those occasions. 
I remember last year, Adam, after like the second race, you said Lance Stroll was better, it was better than him. But anyway, <laughs> we'll we'll move on from that. Uh, so I think it adds to my point that I was just making. <laughs> yeah. Uh, big question the best is thing that could happen to Lance Stroll, actually. The uh, big question yeah. is though, who is gonna replace him? Because it seems a bit wide open. Well, a bit. It is wide open. Yeah, I think it's very wide open. <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's several names in the hat. Who's your Who's your immediate go to, Nigel? Immediate go to. Oh, see, I should have thought about this before we started. I, I, I can jump in if you want. It, it feels you. It feels a bit of a weird one because to me there seems to be two quite obvious replacements, and then a load of names that are a bit further away and you can't really separate yeah. them. So <laughs> to me, it's Piastri or Daniel Ricciardo. Um, yeah. So <gasps> I guess it, I don't know. Oh it depends God. Depends how um, Ricciardo wants to play. I kind of, I think he'll try and stick it out at McLaren. So I'd say Piastri is my prediction. But to me, it seems like they're, for me, a step oh, ahead. My God. You're, you're a walking contradiction, you had. If you said Ricciardo wasn't going to be at McLaren, literally... No, but I think, I think he I said stay. Ricciardo would go to Aston Martin. Oh, God. I'm, I'm not... I'm, I said I'm saying I You said he, he'll stay. Um, I think I said, he I said, wants... I said that ages ago, sorry. I mean... <laughs> yeah, I, I think he wants to say. This is what I mean. It comes down to whether Ricciardo wants that move. So, no, I don't think Ricciardo will... St- stay but I think that won't be of his own volition I see him right. trying to stick it out at McLaren and that's what gives Piastri the opportunity so, so yeah Oscar, Oscar Piastri. I, I can't see Oscar Piastri going oh how come I there's so many noises coming out of the Alpine camp that they kind of I don't know I that they've invested so much into him I don't I can't see Aston Martin going for a rookie basically um and there's, taking there's someone been, who's a deal I, I, I think um there's I can been noises see them, coming out that they want him in a seat for 2023, though. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, I know. But I mean, I, I think, I think that that coupled with, um, I think Aston Martin are going to want an established driver there um, for the brand. Um, I think is actually a relatively. I think they're not going to want to put in a rookie. And I think, I think from that perspective, I think there's a, a, um, Alonso or Ricardo are going to be the ones they chase. Um, I think. I think. Alpine actually would would be a little bit kind of lucky if Alonso went because then it gives Piastri is no Piastri headache. If if Aston do that, it's just because they haven't learned. Like it's not like Piastri is just the uh, certainly compared to Ricardo or some of the other um, options. Then you know he in terms of potential, he just seems to be miles above for me anyway. So they did that with Vettel where they went for a driver who's kind of uncertain, um, you know, fading in his mid thirties, but you know, to, to go, and it's not worked as well as they'd hoped, I think that's fair to say. So if they go for another driver in that position, that is just like, you know, definition of stupidity. But what, the same what, thing what, over and over again. For Ricardo, presumably, what about Alonso? Alonso seems a really weird one to me, because I just don't get the draw from his side. Like, it seems like such a step back. I don't know if I'm missing something, and I know there's kind of been noises that there's been contact between the two parties, but me and Nigel kind of both raised our eyebrows when you mentioned it. And um, I think Alonso would be a great option competitively for Aston, but I think they can get a similar kind of level of potential from Piastri. And I don't kind of, I just don't see why Alonso would do it basically. I think the Alonso thing is kind of, he's out of contract at the end of this year, rather than taking, I don't know, maybe having to buy Piastri in such a way or, and it would be similar with Ricardo with Alonso. Who knows? They can get a free agent kind of thing with him. Um, 
and that and that kind of deal and that's a reason why it's an easy one to float as a discussion point would, would they um, have to buy Andy's, piastri well it depends on what deal they want if they want a loan deal then what's the point in going for it if you're he's thinking, a great driver if you're thinking about potential if you think about potential then you've got to think about like permanent seats really and if it's a loan that's why that's why there's a, all these things with piastri that keep getting rumored are taking a long time to come to fruition but because alonso doesn't want their own driver Alonso doesn't have any more long-term potential than Piastri. Alonso will and will be announced as an Alpine driver next year over the next four weeks, guaranteed. No chance he goes to Aston. I'd agree with that. Okay, no I, I, I think, I think there's still balls rolling on this. Nothing. There's, I think today's announcement has made. I would have agreed with that last week, but I won't Actually, agree with now. No, nothing in Alonso's career is predictable, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say <laughs> anything with certainty because he, yes, he is. Um, he he makes decisions that aren't expected. I'll say that. So he's in a team that the the whole kind of narrative is that I don't know. The expectation was that this he would be stepping aside, but he doesn't want to. And who's that kind? Of, I don't know. I don't know how that's sitting. Um, I don't know if I'm overegging that or anything. But um, because I'm mentioning it, but um, it's the kind of thing where it's like you look at it and think he could really go. He could go to Aston Martin and like be the sort of dominant there really well but i mean it depends on what you think i mean this is a whole other question if you're lawrence stroll and your job is to make lance stroll world champion who do you hire you well, don't hire piastri you don't hire ricardo you don't hire alonso really you shouldn't have hired vettel you probably should hire mick schumacher he's got to but... get his twin mate <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you want to make lance stroll world champion you lance sign, Lor- you sign cool zach club, brown we? to drive or something um Chloe, Chloe Stroll. That's Chloe who's going Stroll. in. No, yeah, I think now. Nah, um, I don't know how much that will um, play it because if you want Lance to be world champion, he has to be able to beat like you know drivers around the five to ten range of the grid. So, um, and you know billionaire. I, don't, I mean, I've never let Lawrence, but kind of the stereotype for billionaire fathers is you know competitive for their sons. So I don't know. It'd be it'd be an extremely strange decision. I think, you know, throw in whoever's best and you know, if Lance can compete with them, then he can. And if not, then, you know, it's another telling sign so, and he'll keep his seat. So, Freddie, you're going to Lonzo. Is that right? I'm not going anyone. Yeah, you're I'm just throwing people out there. Um, I think it's just going to be one Aston Martin next season. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. the, and the safety so, car. Okay, right. So, Adam, you're going Oscar Piastri, yeah? Yes. Okay, I'm going to go for Alex Albon. Okay. I think, because I think, move up the grid, I think he knows Williams and They've got pretty much zero chance of getting anywhere near the top. You know, or even top mm. of yeah, well, the top of the grid. It was Aston Martin could at least lead the midfield. Williams, I don't think they will. So I'm gonna go out. Well, I think he's performed well enough as well. It's definitely proved me wrong a bit. Although I did say before the season that he would be better than he was at Red Bull. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm gonna go go with our one. But it really is open. So that's my guess. I've got a, a kind of gut feeling for Kevin Magnussen. Oh, even though he's even though he's contracted, even though he's contracted for next year, I don't know. I can kind of can see that going through. I don't know how much of a step up it'd be though. It's the same for Mick Schumacher. I've seen some things linking him, and I wrote something linking him, but I don't. I'm not. I don't know. It's just Aston aren't a step up the grid for that many teams. I don't think. Yeah, but it's it's the kind of thing. It's like. Depends where you are, and I think I don't know. I think Mick is an interesting one because I think Mick is 
in a position where, yeah, he's had two good races and the majority of kind of mediocre and not necessarily great races. Um, Magnussen's had a lot of very good races this year, but also Magnussen has been very open about how much he enjoys being with Haas and so on. So it's an interesting one from that regard. But then if you throw Mick into that position, um, it's kind of like Seb's going to be laying groundwork for that. He's been very open about that today. Um, and that's not going to go unnoticed. And it's the best time for Mick Schumacher to be speaking to someone about getting a seat, to be fair, because he's on his best run of form. Um, so who knows on that front? I think I can, but I can see Aston Martin going for Magnussen based on mm. where Magnussen came into it, is basically where I'm leaning with this gut feeling, based on where yeah. Magnussen walked into this year in F1 and just was great. So there's that. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. That's why it's so wide open, as Nigel alluded to. And that's why I can't put my name on anyone. Um, even though, I mean, the race, Autosport and a few others have put Alonso as their front bid um, just because Lawrence. they have and because of all the links between him and Lawrence Stroll in the past. Um, it's, I wouldn't be surprised by any of them. Let me put it that way. Mm. I'll be shot by Alonso. I'll I know be you stunned. would. I'll be absolutely stunned. But... Yeah, but you're always shocked by everything, Nigel. I'm not, I've got no emotions, mate. Exactly, and that's why it's insane how everything shocks you. I've, I've got frustration. Anger I watched last year's Russian Grand Prix with you. You have emotion. <laughs> yes, yes, that was a very dramatic race to me, though. <laughs> but yeah. Mm. Uh, okay, a so classic as well. Yeah. A classical. Uh, so we don't know. I don't think anyone <laughs> knows. Uh, other than Aston Martin, maybe if they've signed a deal with Ricardo already, we're all, we're all getting trolled or something. Uh, but we might find out over the summer break or just after that. Is there anything else we want to talk about before we wrap it up? Because this was meant to be a short episode. Yeah. It never is, is it, Freddie? I just want to say, I think this should... I don't think it would be what happens because of what Adam and I said about Ricardo, about how you will want to stay at McLaren, how the Instagram stuff was very obvious. But I think he should do this. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm in the same boat. I think he's he's too stubborn. Well, you know, is too stubborn a bad thing? Yes, because he's going to try and stay at McLaren and they stubborn. don't want him. But uh, yeah, I th- I'm in the same boat. I think for his career then, he should go and I think Aston Martin would be very interested, but I don't see it happening because he still wants to, you know, he still thinks he's better than that, I guess. Um, the, the other thing I kind of want to touch on is I'm interested to see if this does affect Hamilton at all. I know you think this is like stupid, but I think is a driver that you know is probably probably closest kind of confidant on the grid. Another driver stepping away from his time in the sport and where where Seb goes will be in some ways beating a kind of similar path to what Hamilton could do post career. So I think in the way that he sees that, the way he sees Seb doing his activism and kind of, you know, it'll be a bit of a glimpse into the future about what he could expect going away. And I think it's one less tie tying him to F1. Not a big tie, but it's still there. So I think it's not, you know, it, it's a kind of just question out there that I think Hamilton will be watching it with interest. Yeah, I think um, I'm going to reply to this because Nigel's going to spontaneously combust because it's a stupid <laughs> question. But the more I've kind of thought about it since I saw it on the, the, the planning sheet when you put it there. Is it kind of yeah, I can kind of see where you're coming from with asking the question because it kind of it leaves Hamilton kind of solo in that mm. regard. And Hamilton's been a Nigel, just walk away. Just don't listen, right? <laughs> um he's been a kind of lonely figure a lot of his career, Hamilton, but I think he's been very um 
obvious to see that he's kind of had that very decent relationship with Sebastian Vettel over the past couple of years. Not kind of when they've not been competing as closely, to be honest. Um, but I think he was in a few of his interviews today, Lewis was very, very clearly quite disappointed that Seb was going, not disappointed in Seb, because I think he obviously understands the decision, but I think he's disappointed that Seb's not going to be there. He's a driver. We're all racing. disappointed. All right, it's a Nigel, shut disappointment up. For him, Let's just have a conversation. Um, <laughs> and it's just kind of like, yeah, I'm kind of, I don't think it will affect what he does with his competitive instinct because once he's in the car, he's yeah. in the car. But I think it will affect the way he sort of sees off-grid kind of mm. off-track activities in, in, in a way. But I don't think it will change the way he acts at all. I think it will obviously have an impact on him as a person because um, it's easier to be so vocal when you've got such an obvious ally next to you. I think it will kind of um, push him to just have a bit of a fresh look at kind of his position, his position over the next few years. I'm not saying that he's going to retire next year because his best mate's gone, but I think... Oh, his best mate at all. Fa- <laughs> I think it'll be a factor for him. I think, to be honest, I think there is a bit of this where we're probably overthinking how close they are as people. Um, yes. I think, obviously, you're going to be close to people in a certain way when you've, you know, there's only so many people who've had that kind of lifestyle of winning championships and going around the world for that long. Like the only people that you can probably turn to if you're Lewis Hamilton or Sebastian Vettel would be each other um, because neither of them are going to go and turn to Fernando Alonso. And um, it's kind of like, I get that from that side of it, but they've always been kind of solitary private figures anyway. So it kind of tails off in that regard as a point, in my opinion. Nigel, do you have another point now that you think is worthy of your time? I completely disagree. It's absolute rubbish. It has absolutely no impact on whether Howard will retire or not. Well, he will or, retire. Or, or, or when he will, sorry. Or like if he decides to retire earlier. Or mm-hmm. Howard enjoys F1 a lot more than people think. I think. Like it, yes, of course. Yeah. You know, he's got a big, massive importance of his off-track stuff. But I, I think he's going to stay in his F1 to his 40s. Vettel's uh, retirement has no impact he is, he is 38 in, in, in a few months so yeah <laughs> yeah so Vettel's impact has no uh, Vettel's retirement has no impact at all yeah and that's the conclusion we kind of came to we were more talking about the the way it kind of approaches his activism on the side of it and that kind of thing I, I was yeah. at least it might impact him how far into his 40s is retire, he retires. Like, I'm not saying, oh, he's going to retire next year because of Vettel, but I think it will prompt him to have a kind of fresh look at where he is and how Vettel he does, does that every and year. How... He, has a, he has a look at himself every, at the end of every season. Yeah, and this is mid-season. Is. This is mid-season ahead of oh, the then, then, break. No, 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 don't go, into the, don't go into the specifics on that. That's a stupid thing well, to about, to be fair. Like, well, it's mid-season well, um, he's always no, these Lewis thoughts happen when they happen. Goes away um, at the end of every year and thinks about where he is in his career and how he wants to apply himself. Sebastian Vettel retiring is not going to change anything about that. I think. I think how, no, but it could be. Vettel I think what Adam's saying, Nigel, is that it could be a kind of like he can see where Sebastian Vettel's coming from and kind of think, oh, okay, I haven't considered that and take on board and have a few discussions, take on board that kind of thing. But clearly, it's irritating you, and you want to go and jump off a cliff. No, so we should no. probably move on from this. No, I, I like this discussion. I like no, that. you don't. It's well, I'm not enjoying it with you like no, this, a, to be honest. It's a podcast. We should be just, It's fine yeah. to agree I, and disagree. I, yeah, I, th- I think. Can't agree how, with everything, do we say? I, th- I think how 
Vettel's uh, post-retirement career goes and how, you know, he, he speaks with Hamilton, Hamilton speaks with him about that, then I think it could have an impact. I'm not saying it will. I'm not saying it absolutely won't. I think it could have an impact. Fair enough. Cool. We'll leave it there then <laughs> at the end of a disagreement. Uh, but yeah, thank you very much for tuning in. This week, uh, follow us at FredCoats1999, not me, that's Freddy, uh, at Nigel Z. Journal and at Adam Dickinson01. Uh, uh, we will see you after the Hungarian Grand Prix. Hamilton's going to win that, that's my prediction. There he is. <laughs> Maybe. Goodbye.